and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is Limerick's Marty Ryan. He's the frontman in Anna's Anchor, a solo project he started up about a decade ago, but which has grown and expanded and gearing up to release their fourth album, The Marys, on Galway's Strange Brew Records this Friday, July 7th. life experience underpinning this album. Per the press release, The Marys documents some of Ryan's happiest memories, but his desire to record them came from a fever dream of pain and uncertainty. Ryan suffered a frightening head injury in 2021, shortly after moving to the US to pursue a PhD in music education. While he's healthy now, memory loss and long-term issues were an initial concern. Ryan wrote a list of important memories after the accident happened as a way to ensure he remembered those experiences that were precious to him. With Brian Scally on drums, Claire O'Brien on backing vocals as well as lead vocals for the album's closing song, don't worry, we'll get to that, and a guest appearance from Hermitage Green's Dermot Sheedy on Byron, the Marys takes you on a journey. Marty will be back home from America for a tour of Ireland around the album's release. Anna's Anchor play the Roisin Dove in Galway on July 12th, the Workman Cellar in Dublin on the 13th, the Bars in Clonakilty on the 14th, and Dolan's Warehouse, a homecoming show in Limerick on July 15th, before Anna's Anchor head over to the UK for some shows there. On this episode of the podcast, myself and Marty talk about his move to the US, his head injury and how it affected him, and we'll go through the Marys track by track. We're listening to the first single of the album right now. It's called Function Room Floor. And at the end of the interview, it's a long one, strap yourselves in. We'll listen to Listole in full. You can get the Marys at the Anna's Anchor Bandcamp page or go to strangebrew.ie. But here's Marty Ryan on the Point of Everything podcast. Where exactly are you talking from in America at the moment? Uh, so right now, Owen, I'm right now I'm actually in Akron, Ohio. Um, and the reason why I'm here is I'm doing a, a PhD in music education at Kent State University. Uh, so Kent is just a couple of miles out the road here from Akron. Akron's about a half an hour from Cleveland. So, um, yeah, it's a very interesting part of America. I've been here two years now and, um, it was just one of those things where I got offered a, an opportunity and a, and a scholarship to do a PhD over here. And back home, I had been working as a music teacher with Music Generation, which a lot of people might be familiar with, but those that aren't is basically U2s. Um, 
music education organization where they give affordable and creative education to kids all around Ireland. And I did that for years on the side of um, doing the the few bands that I'm in and really loved it and wanted to, you know, pursue that style of music education from a research perspective. And um, it's a fairly new um, field in terms of studying music in this more kind of progressive student-led environment. Um, so there's not that many kind of research centers around the world that specialize in it. And uh, Kent, Ohio was one of them. And when uh, push came to shove, it was the one that kind of made the, the most sense for me. So never really I anticipated leaving Limerick because, you know, we're as a band we're from Limerick and I really, really love Limerick. But it was one of those things where when it got offered to me, it was like, if I don't take this, I'm going to regret it. And if I do take it and it goes badly, sure whatever i've given it a lash kind of thing uh so that's where i am right now great have you gotten to enjoy the place have you been able to explore ohio and maybe america further afield <laughs> yeah not as much as i would have liked because maybe i naively i know that any phd involves a lot of work but in the back of my mind i was like you know what it's music related uh it won't be as intense as someone who's doing a phd in I don't know, uh, you know, um, nanophysics like our bass player uh, does or uh, or like our drummer Brian Scally has in uh, brain scanning. I thought it would be much handier than what they went through, um, but that's actually not the case at all. It's an insane amount of work. Um, so not as much as I would have liked, but yeah, I've been, you know, I've gotten to, exp- I mean, in touring, I've seen most of the East Coast and the West Coast anyway, um, but I have seen plenty of pockets like just the other a couple of weeks ago, I went to D.C. and Baltimore and went to an Orioles baseball game, which is lovely. Um, I have been spending a lot of time in Cleveland because it's only a half an hour up the road and it's just this big major city that I'm now learning has this big, strong Irish connection. And actually, my granite uh, moved over there uh, to work as a nun a long time ago. And there's this area in downtown Cleveland called the Irish Town Bend and the Irish Flats where basically you know, all the poor immigrants um, that came over and they were basically building the um, the, the Erie Canal, um, which is basically like linking Chicago to D.C. and New York um, for trade. That was pretty much built by lots of Irish immigrants and they all moved over here. Um, but quite actually on the, the topic of seeing nice things, that whole canal, it's obviously no longer in use, but the whole thing is a bike pass now. So you can pretty much cycle the length of Ohio um, which is, you know, about the size of Ireland without going onto a road or anything. So I've gotten to explore that a lot, which has been been really nice. Um, but for the most part, it's just been focusing on the work, which is a little bit of a, of a pity. But whenever I can, you know, try to, to visit, you know, any place around. I was going to say, um, you, you probably have to explain to every Irish person like where Akron is. But then I was thinking, I've heard of Akron before. It's the birthplace. It's where LeBron James was born. Yeah, there's a few reasons, or there's a few things that people may know Akron from. Uh, LeBron being the biggest one, yeah, and there's some something about his salary in the NBA going on this week. I don't know enough about NBA. But yeah, LeBron's from here. It, you know, your listeners, who I assume are cool, savvy music people, might know it as the hometown of Devo. And uh, Devo actually met at my university. And the other thing that... Akron is known for it's called the Rubber City and Goodyear 
good rich previously and bridgestone and firestone basically all at one point had their global headquarters in akron and the town was basically built or the city was built on making those tires um to basically supply um the the cars that were being built in detroit which is only like three hours up the road but when you know the automotive industry collapsed in detroit kind of the same thing happened to akron and you know it's a very cheap place to live there's a lot of abandoned industrial buildings which makes it a pretty cool place for music and art to prosper which i've gotten to learn which is really nice um, and you will see loads of businesses around the place that uh, have recreated the devo hats with three tires that have been painted red stacked on top of each other that's like everywhere you go the black keys are from akron as well i wouldn't be as into them as devo now but they're also from here man we're, t- we're ticking off everything <laughs> there you go yeah no limerick though on snow limerick well i mean speaking of are you able to get home regularly enough have you been home much over the three years you've been in america uh so it's two years now and i got back last summer um and i came back and i was very lucky to do some music workshops um in a couple of schools um so i got back for two months and did that part of that was with um failing the grain at the music festival also came back to basically play a one-off show in Dolan's Warehouse last summer, and I'm flying uh, back home in a couple of days to go back and basically release our new album, which is out July 7th on Strange Brew Records, and we're doing a tour around Ireland. It's Galway on the 12th of July, uh, Dublin on the 13th, Clannacilty on the 14th, and then Limerick on the 15th. Um, so coming back for that tour and then i'm going over to the uk with Stu daily from chewy the following week so i'll be back in ireland or well to europe for about a month to basically you know get down to to business with re- releasing the album so i'm very lucky and i feel fortunate to be able to use music as a vehicle to get home because anyone that has lived abroad will you know know full well like it's difficult it is really hard and it's you know at times it's really lonely and even though you are doing great things and from the outside looking in, it might, you know, seem fantastic, but there's definitely, you know, really tough elements. So I do feel very grateful, you know, to have the opportunity to go back. And, you know, I think about my grand who moved over, you know, literally a half an hour up the road. Like there was no, no, no going back to visit family for her. Like, so it's a, it's a different time for living abroad, you know, and they even just introduced direct flights from Cleveland to Dublin as well. So, you know, the world kind of is getting a little bit smaller travel-wise and, you know, the internet makes it a lot easier to keep in touch back home too. Did you think moving over would have meant the natural end of Anna's Anchor? Did you think, like, if if I say yes to this PhD, I'm kind of saying, like, goodbye to Anna's Anchor? Um, no. No, definitely not. Not as a project uh, at all because... You know, it's it's not like your typical band where it's, you know, five people that can only write songs when they're in the, the same room as each other. Um, you know, and I'd obviously be the primary songwriter and all of that, so I'd be moving away. It wasn't like that, you know. It's, um, it's a project that is near and dear to me, and I have, you know, loads of friends that revolve around it and really help me out, especially and particularly... Our drummer Brian Scally, uh, who's from Cork and Clannacilty to be specific, but for the length of uh, me playing music with Brian, we've actually never lived in the same country as each other. Like he had moved away to England by the time he started playing drums 
for Anna's anchor. So, you know, we've never we actually well, we wrote some of the first album together in Dublin Hill and Cork, but everything since has just been, you know, sending logic sessions back and forth over the internet and we, you know, have a really good relationship working together writing music remotely. Um so that was never going to be an issue. In the back of my mind though, there was and you know, I I'd like to continue Anna's anchor for literally the rest of my life, like maybe when I'm like, you know, sixty and playing like bluegrass tunes or trad tunes, whatever the hell it is that I'm into in the future, I'd like to keep going as Anna's anchor because I see no reason to stop. But there was definitely a worry that like will we lose what we have right now? Because our last album in particular, you know, I mean, you know, we're still we're still a very modest band, but our last album, A Glorious Ruction, definitely did a lot better than the other albums in terms of just like general interest and even not that it matters or anything, but, you know, sales and stuff. And, you know, we played a couple of bigger shows, you know, we played our biggest headline shows in and around that period. Um, and there was the fear that, like, if I go away, will all of this be gone? But at the same time, that's probably the worst attitude you could have because that's that's essentially, you know, admitting to resting on your laurels, which to me is the thing that kills all creativity. And yeah, and especially when I thought about if I stayed in Limerick, nothing would really have changed in my life that I could foresee anyway. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that whatsoever, there isn't, but if I'm to try and write another album after our last one and my life is the exact same as it was for the previous album, I can't really see myself writing another good album because I haven't had, you know, certain experiences that have, you know, created thought provoking moments that are wor worth writing a song about. Um, so in a roundabout way, even though it felt like I was leaving a lot behind in some ways, it was really necessary to keep the band going and, by God, I have a totally different outlook on life now. Um, and none of it's even related to, you know, living in a different country. It's just certain things have happened that have really changed so much. And, you know, for better or worse, there are experiences I've had and that I wouldn't have had. So, you know, it's, it's impossible to answer that question ultimately, but I feel like it was necessary. And especially after, you know, living in Limerick my entire life, there's no, no harm to experience anything else. And, We've been really lucky that I do feel so much support from people that have, you know, been following the band throughout the years that they've really had our back the whole way and it makes it all the more sweeter. And when I went back last summer, you know, we headlined the Dolan's Warehouse, which was the first time ever doing that. And it was literally like a, you know, a, an all time dream to do. Um, and, you know, finally got to do it. Like it's unbelievable, like literally a lifelong goal was achieved and that was after I moved away. So uh, I don't think it's really, really hindered us, but it's hard to keep those little, you know, negative thoughts out of your mind at the same time. Did you have the new album written before you went over to America or has it all been done in the couple of years since? Yeah, it was all um, written over here. Um, so the album is called The Marys. Um, like I said, it's out July 7th. Um, I was only over here a couple of months and I basically had an accident that involved a head injury and I'm only kind of learning how to even talk about it. Um, but I mean, 
touch wood, I'm very, very fortunate that everything was okay and I'm fine and I'm perfectly healthy now. But it was a very scary moment at the time. Like memory loss was a concern and I wasn't sure what I wasn't or wasn't remembering. And in that kind of cloud of confusion in around a few days of this, that accident happening, I basically wrote a list of memories as like a means to kind of trigger my mind uh, to hopefully remember other things. But also I genuinely was feeling like I was going to forget the most important things in my life. So it's forgetting other things. So thankfully, anyway, everything's okay. And that list of things, I had never written a song about any of those things, which is kind of mad that when, you know, push came to shove and I was, you know, met with, you know, trying to face the most important things in my life. There were things I hadn't really written a song about before. Um, so the new album is all of the songs are pretty much different things relating to that list. So I wrote them all over here. And that was the the theme of the album. I did know that before I left, I was going to be writing an album in around that time period. But before the accident, I was deliberately not going to write anything about living in America because I felt like I'd have to be living over here for a serious amount of time to justify forming an opinion on it, to be honest. So I was kind of mindful of that. But it did all the writing did occur over here. And we recorded the drums in Leeds in uh, the Kaiser Chiefs keyboard, Kaiser Chiefs keyboard player studio, uh, which is amazing. And then I recorded the rest of it just here in this little room that we're talking, uh, that I'm talking to you from right now. Wow. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about the accident? Maybe just, like we don't have to get into specifics or anything, but was it like a concussion or something that led to the memory loss or, or what was it? Yeah, I I basically collapsed in a restaurant. I wasn't drink related or anything, um, and you know fell entirely on my head, uh, which also landed on a like a metal frame thing that was on the ground. I basically split the whole back of my head open and had to have it, you know, had to get staples and had a concussion and um, all of that. And I have actually picked up a few concussions since playing sports, so I'm actually going to completely give up playing contact sport now. Um, because it is scary. And again, I want to like state that I feel so lucky. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, it still was very minor. You know, even though it, it sounds shocking at face value and it did really scare the living daylights out of me. At the same time, it could have been so much worse. Uh, so I'm very lucky. But that was what happened. It's just one of these freak things. And I've never experienced anything like that ever before. And Again, touch wood, I'm very lucky that I haven't had any you know, previous health issues as someone who's 31 years old. Uh, but that's what happened, yeah. And like the memory loss thing, is that just a symptom of it? Did they say that it would go away or were there fears that it would last longer? Because like I have a shit memory, but, you know, eventually I kind of f figure out what I'm trying to remember. But like that must be an awful thing to experience or to realize. Yeah, like that's in relation to the concussion side effects. Um, what I found the scariest, to be honest, was just like not necessarily knowing what I have or haven't forgotten. And, you know, like I would, like, let's say, misplace something and couldn't figure out where I left it. But then I'm wondering, you know, is that because I'm actually a forgetful person naturally and I've misplaced the bloody thing? Or have I genuinely put that thing somewhere and I now have no recollection of it whatsoever? 
um, you know, stuff like that happening regularly, which was just really worrying. And then, of course, anything that happens abroad is so much more scarier because you don't have the same support that you have. And of course, it being America, you know, the healthcare system and all the fears and costs associated with that. And, you know, when I was in the hospital, like I didn't know what to say yes or no to because I was like, God, am I going to, what kind of bills going to be at the end of this? Like, and it was, yeah, the whole thing was just scary. Oof. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you move to America for some experiences, it sounds like you've got a couple of albums worth. <laughs> I don't know about that. The fella who came uh, who came into the ER about 30 seconds after me had after saw sawed his arm off with a chainsaw and he had previously done the same thing to the other arm apparently. <laughs> um it was like a you know it was really like something out of like ER. He came rushing in with his mate and his mate was like he sawed his arm off with a chainsaw. And uh <laughs> this was while I was like, you know, being checked in. And uh I was even, you know, in my concussed state with the back of my head open, I was like, uh, do you wanna look after that fella before me? <laughs> and they were like, No, no, we, we have a protocol because everything in America is, you know, that way. And the guy was like screaming in agony and I was like, honestly, like, I I think he needs it. And, were, and then they were like, Sir, we've got this. And I'm like <laughs> And anyway, then they look after the fellows after chopped the bloody arm off and a police officer comes raging in the door looking for that same fella just at, after he had gone into the ER. And it was just like, oh, my God, who who the fuck is going to come in here next? Like, Was he carrying his arm that he had torn off? It was wrapped up in a hoodie that was. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, I don't want to turn listeners off, but. The hoodie was certainly a different color and the injury was certainly severe. I can tell you that much. Wow. Um, I don't know. How, I don't know how we continue after this, but we'll try. We'll try. What I'm hearing from like you describing the album is that like dealing with this memory loss and, and you know, all of these memories coming up, it sounds like it's one of your most honest. Did it, did you find that with the songwriting that you were being really honest in a way that maybe you hadn't been before? I don't know if honesty is the right word. Um, and it was less, it, it wasn't necessarily mem memory loss, but the fear of what memories you could lose after having an accident like that, um, which was really what it was about. And I, I think I've been pretty honest and genuine in every song that we've ever written. Like I, I, I still think, you know, every song is deeply personal um, to me, but there's definitely a very different mood to the whole thing because after all of it was said and done, you know, I just felt really grateful to still be here and to, to be healthy because, you know, anything can happen. And again, I keep prefacing, you know, I'm so lucky and there's people out there that are not as lucky as me um, in a loads of different ways. But at the end of it, I just felt really, really grateful and couldn't believe that, experiences that I've had in life, you know, with my friends and through playing music and the people I've gotten to meet. Like it's such a an amazing thing. And I don't know if I fully appreciated it before. I don't think I don't think I was I don't think I was unappreciative, but I don't think I took as much notice or stock or give myself enough credit for all these, you know, things that have happened. And they're all very, very simple things, you know that have just happened growing up, but 
you know, I have friends that aren't here right now. And, you know, as does anyone else. And the fact that we're all still here walking around is an unbelievable privilege. And I really just feel lucky. And now that almost make it sound like this is going to be like a bloody religious album or something, which it certainly is not. But that's definitely a, a mood change for Anna's anchor because in the past I've probably leaned more towards the sadder side of things. Um, you know, the things that would get me down in life, which are things that get everyone down. But, you know, this time around, I was like, oh, it, that's that's not the message here. You know, the most important thing that's most important to me right now is that I'm here, I'm healthy, and I get to continue to make music and memories and have, you know, fantastic relationships with the people that I love in life. So that's essentially what the album's about. Great. Well, let's get into it then. Let's go track by track through the Marys. with opening credits and a load of voices start off the record are they all your friends why did you start off with with these voices tell us more about that this is going to sound very very artsy and convoluted but you know these lists you know these memories i was kind of imagining them being played back in kind of a movie format um you know that it's like when when all is said and done it's like you know almost like a high you know a highlight of of what's happened and um so i i tried to almost loosely structure the album as if it was like a, a movie and obviously every every movie you know begins with the credits it starts with yeah this uh, voice or it's kind of found sound track of basically my mates that i filmed when we were like 18 and we went on a holiday abroad uh, which was, you know, still a, an, a, an amazing experience to get to travel with your friends. And this is before, like, you know, smartphones and stuff. And But even back then, I used to document everything. I'm only realizing now I'm a bit of a weirdo for that. Like, when when you watch, like, the Heath Ledger documentary or these other people that was like, what the heck? Like, they, they captured all of this stuff all the time. Like, what? That's so weird. What? I've now realized, like, Jesus, I'm actually one of those people, too. Um, so is, is, it, is it on camcorder, like, that you're doing it, or just, like... It is, audio? it is, yeah, it was It was filmed on, like, a mini-DV, um, or maybe it was, like, an SD, SD card-type camera. Uh, the video of it I will never share on the internet, because it's just, so it's like, falling around the place. But even though it's just total nonsense, it is just a group of friends just being in the moment uh and that's why i put it in there um and also there's one of one of my friends who's not around anymore unfortunately kev hayes you know his voice is in there and i wanted to have that as well on it um 
and it's things that you know if you listen really closely i don't think you would you know be able to even make out what we're talking about but you know it's it's important to me and again just a really important moment in my life just being there with my friends it's as simple as that really it, it kind of makes me think of Fred again, kind of he uses sounds like that in his music. Um, For Those I Love does something similar on his Choice Prize winning album from a couple of years ago. And on Nothing Happened Today, the second track, I know that you cite Alex G as an influence uh, on that, kind of on the sound in general in the album. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the influences? Were the likes of Fred again, maybe in your mind when you were putting together those um the opening sounds of the album as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Public Service Broadcasting is another band as well that is, you know, heavily used, uh, things like that. I mean, the, the tracks that they include wouldn't necessarily be, um, stuff that they've recorded. Um, but I did a project, um, right before I left Ireland, um, that I got funding from the Arts Council where I basically created a piece of music from sounds that I captured at the skate park in Limerick. Um, because while I'm not a very good skateboarder, I absolutely love skating. And um, I just thought, there, you know, the, the sound, that's maybe what I love the most about skateboarding is just all the sounds. It's, you know, it's it's beautiful to me. Um, so I made a song using primarily sounds from the skate park. And there was times where I just like left the field recorder on and it just captured loads of conversations just by, I mean, not random, like people I know. Um, but I included those sounds in that track because it was part as part of the sound of the skate park, you know, it was just people chatting with each other and I just loved how it sounded and other artists that I was into, you know, have done things like that, like those that you've cited. Um, Alex G does it a bit too, but then he also like tunes his own voice to make it sound like other people. I've been for a long time now, really into the national, and, um, you know, there's that song where Lisa Hannigan, I'm forgetting the name of the song, but it's Lisa Hannigan doing the voiceover. It's a, a speech that allegedly, you know, a, a former U.S. president gave. The name of the song is uh, escaping me now, but uh, I, I just thought that was amazing. And it just seemed like a another, you know, another interesting thing to to add to the, to the repertoire. We have dabbled in it a little bit previously, but not made it a focal point. Um, so yeah, it was just seemed like a new progression to take with the music. Yeah, it's a nice kind of touchstone throughout the album as well. But nothing happened today. Is this kind of an ode to youth, an ode to the creative process almost? How you can, well, get up to absolutely nothing on a day, but you come up with like a song or, or some sort of thing. That's what I was thinking this song might be about. It's pretty much as simple as that. It's, it's not about songwriting, but it is literally about, you know, when when you're younger, somehow you could spend an entire day doing absolutely fuck all. And somehow the day would still feel great. Like there's no way I have the time to do nothing in a day. <laughs> I can't really afford to do nothing in an hour anymore, which is all my own fault from like basically being a workaholic. But there's something glorious about that period in your life where you can do absolutely nothing. And you know, it's, you can kind of celebrate that in reverie. For some people, it's when you're 14. For other people, it's when you're in third year in doing a quantity surveying degree or whatever it is um, in LIT. Um, not that uh, you know that isn't hard work or anything, but the, I think there's something magical about that. And the further you go on in life, the further 
that escapes you. I'm sure anyone listening now that's well into adulthood would feel like you know it just wouldn't be possible to do absolutely nothing and it's a little bit of a sad thing but at the same time that's the way life goes and you just have to move on with it and that's what that song is about it wasn't our time no it wasn't our time if we could pretend that nothing happened today happened today and it'd be so much Listol is the next track. The press release says that this is about you kind of going to the punk scene in Listol and Tralee with uh, your band Blank when you're like only 15 at the time. Tell me about these punk scenes in Listol and Tralee. I don't think I've heard of them before. Serious punk scene in Listol in 2006. <laughs> uh, no, so my band uh, was called Elise. My first ever band. We were so shit. We were <laughs> shocking. Not to say that my music is that good now, but by God, was we were pretty bad back then. Um, and we played our first gig in um, Lava Javas in uh, Limerick, which was helped put on by Tall John, who does um, Bad Reputation and Siege of Limerick. Um, Maybe he still works in the youth center. He did for a long time anyway, but that was where I played my first ever um, proper gig. And it was around the time of Bebo. And we recorded a song around that period and lashed it up on the Bebo page. And what I did have back then was I had enough. Jeez, uh, I don't know if I should say this publicly. I had enough skills, uh, graphic design skills built from making fake IDs that I could put together a really flashy Bebo page for us. And it made us look like a good band. And we got a message from a band from Tarbert uh, called Blank. And they asked us if we wanted to play a show uh, in the KDYS um, in uh, Listol. And we went up there and it was incredible. Like, I really did not appreciate how great a thing that those group of people had going on. Like, you know, North Kerry of all places, not necessarily the epicenter of punk music, but like the gigs were rammed. And I'm only in hindsight now learn like how hard is it to fill a room in a town with a population of a stall playing any kind of angular music? Like it's unbelievable. And those people became, you know, still to this day, um, some of my best friends. Niall from Blank has previously played guitar and Anna's anchor for a long time. He just moved to um, he just moved to Canada, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that whole period of that band was spent us going to either Listol uh, or the KDYS in Tralee and then the lads coming back and playing with us in Limerick. And uh, the yeah, the gigs in Kerry were way better than what we could put together in Limerick. Um, and it's just kind of a, an ode to that time. I guess they're proper punks as well in, in, in Kerry as well, are they? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Uh, 
Nah, I don't, I don't know. It's all of these things come in, in rose tinted glasses, but it wasn't even necessarily just punk bands. Blank were like, you know, they kind of sounded like rancid and uh, they, you know, exposed me to, you know, bands like, like, uh, like rancid or even therapy. Um, that just wasn't really on my radar because I was just, a, you know, an Egypt of a 15 year old. Um, but then there was like metal bands that would play with us. There was, uh, indie bands and there's people in all these random bands that have you know since gone on to play in other like really big bands um that i still you know keep in touch with which is just amazing to think that there's this network of people that are now you know off either doing their own lives or actually pursuing a career in music full-time and you know we met just in a youth center in the stone or Tralee. like how how amazing is that like that's the best thing ever so did those trips kind of give you the impetus to want to continue in in like music was there something about them that you were like oh this would be nice to keep doing that part of that is true Owen. um but maybe this is also r revealing a, a part of myself in looking back is i did really really love that and all i wanted to do was play music but again like i said we were shy <laughs> and I mean, that was completely, you know, my fault um, because I was just not a good musician when I was 15. But um, I don't know. I remember playing a few gigs in and around that time that were not like the one in Listol or Tralee where everyone was really nice to each other and supportive. And there was this weird competitive edge. And I felt very insecure in those situations. And... I just basically just didn't feel good enough. Um, now, maybe that was even true, but regardless, that was actually enough to kind of discourage me from continuing with music. You know, there was a few bands after Elise, but it was never anything too serious. And for a finish, you know, in my early college years, I was just kind of like, oh, like I, I think I, I prefer playing hurling and soccer to this to be honest so i actually parked it for a few years which is kind of sad in hindsight that i let you know other people you know disparage me doing something that i i really did enjoy um but i didn't but it wasn't until years later that i then um one of my actually the, the drummer from elise he had started a new band this is years later and uh, i went to see them play at their first gig and they had actually asked me originally to be in the band and I said no and I saw them with you know the person who you know went in in my place I was like fuck there I really like this like I really enjoy their music and long story short I ended up being in that band anyway it's called Gone 90 and um did that for a while um and met lots of other people and kind of fell back in love with it and at the same time met our drummer uh from uh, Anna's anchor Brian Scally uh, it was right before I joined that band and Brian kind of opened the door to me to uh, lots of music that I just hadn't really discovered because I had stepped away from music for so long and it really kind of reignited a passion and I'm really grateful to, uh, to Ollie Phillips is the, the guy who's in Gone 90, one of my closest friends um, and actually his voice is in that opening credit uh, clip as well so it's all coming full circle and Brian Scally, our drummer as well. Uh, and that kind of set me back down on the path. And that time around, it was very different. I was like, I love this. 
and I don't give a shite. Nothing is stopping me from doing this. You know, whether people think it's good, people think it's bad. I enjoy this and I'm going to, you know, absolutely give it my 100% or so whatever happens, happens. And I don't give a fuck after that. And that's basically the way I've approached music ever since for better or worse. <laughs> That's great. Um, Function Room Floor it was the first single off The Marys. Why did this feel like the right choice for the first kind of taster of the album? Uh, that's a good question. I find it really hard to pick singles and I usually uh, just go off the opinion of everyone else, to be honest. <laughs> um, it did feel kind of representative of the sound of the album in terms of uh, moving in a newer direction but it certainly had elements that were on the previous album so kind of to me and to to everyone else kind of involved in the band it felt like a good jumping off point because it wasn't like oh what the hell is going on here like what is this but also it wasn't the exact same as you know what was on previous albums and um, not that anyone ever sets out to do well maybe people do set out to do that i don't know haven't had that level of success, but it just felt like a good halfway house. And um, it's we had definitely had a different song in mind to be the first single during the writing of it. But you don't really know how something's going to fully sound until you have those finished masters on your hard drive and you're listening back to them. And it, it just sound, it really came out the way we wanted it to sound. So that's why we chose that one. And you're releasing the album on Strange Brew Records in Galway. That must be nice. That's the first time you're releasing with, with them, I'm guessing, is it? Yeah, it absolutely is, uh, Owen. And I feel, again, going back to just, you know, feeling grateful. Like, I feel so lucky uh, that, you know, it's it's a label run by Googie from the Roisin Dove. I mean, the Roisin Dove is an incredible venue. Uh, you know, Googie you know, has been involved with the music industry in Ireland for a really long time, which is really admirable. And then he also runs a label, which I know from helping out other people that running a label is really, really, really stressful. And you're doing a lot of work for other people. So, you know, the fact that anyone's willing to help us release something is an incredible thing. And then the fact that it is Googie and the fact that like there's some amazing bands on Strange Brew, you know, of course, Junior Brother, like I've loved his music from day one. Um, you know, his bands like Squarehead, Dahi, uh, Tracy Bruin. There's and I mean, even Houseplants, their album came out on Strange Brew. Uh, there's all these amazing artists. And while I feel very inferior in comparison to all of them, you know, I still feel so grateful um to to have that and at our stage now you know i only realized this because i saw an article someone published last week saying anna zanker the nearly 10 year old project it was like oh my god i did not realize the band is nearly 10 years old it's nine years i had not not done the the maths on that at all um so to be around for as long as we have, this is going to be our fourth album and, you know, to have have it come out on a label like Strange Brew for, you know, our first time is a really, is really a, a, an amazing thing. And so, you know, it's not, not every, I've been saying this for years, but it, not every band gets to release an album full stop. That already puts you in an, you know, an area of extreme good fortune and privilege. 
very few bands get to release an album on any sort of label whatsoever. So that once again puts you in this, you know, whole other bracket of appreciation. And I just feel so lucky and life has been so hectic with doing the PhD and stuff and having people helping out as well. I'm also, it makes me feel that little bit more okay about living in a different country as well. It's kind of like, okay, we still have that close connection back home. We're not going to, you know, completely drift off into the wilderness like I'd feared, you know, it's it's all going to be okay. And, you know, it, it just really does mean a lot. And not to say that, you know, anyone needs a label to release an album. Absolutely not. But, you know, I, I just feel look, very lucky that circumstances played out that we're releasing this on Strange Brew. Yeah, it's kind of like a seal of approval, I guess. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, Googie's a really busy man and he listens to a lot of amazing music. He puts on a lot of amazing music in that venue. So for him to want to give us, you know, the time and resources that he has developed with his label, it really means a lot, you know. Um, yeah, 100%. Tell me about I Never Felt That Way, a minute-long interview interlude in the middle of the album. Is this kind of going back to the movie idea that you have of the album as a whole? This is just like uh, the, the montage that plays in the middle. I was delighted to leave Ireland to over here. It's just a shithole, like, the people are nasty, do you know what I mean? They've nothing better to do, they're just spiteful people. That's just the way they are, like. Obviously, there's a lot of good people there, but the bad cancer's out to go, do you know what I mean, like? I'm happy to be there. Uh, this one's a little bit of an oddball, I suppose. Uh, so it's when I write an album now, anyway, I approach it from the finished article on vinyl. So two sides, a side A and a side B. And, you know, the, the possibly the most important, um, the most important period of listening to a record is the end of side A. Like, how do you entice the listener to get up off their chair and flip that record over and be like, fuck, I'm really excited to hear what's on the next side of this because I was not expecting that. That's the way I view like the end of a side A. So this song is the the last part of side A. And I suppose if I'm to be a good business person for a moment, I should say you can buy the record on strangebrew.ie or anazanker.com. Um, and I was just trying to think of ways like a short piece of music that's a little bit off the cuff that will symbolize uh, an element of the album and I don't I I don't want to go too much into this because I feel like I'll like ruin the mystique but I came across an interview of a band uh, that were saying things about where I'm from this is a long time ago well before my time and things they were saying I kind of couldn't believe. And they were living in a different country. And I also have a very diff a very new perspective on living in a different country and what they are expressing about where I'm from, which, you know, it was a long time ago for them, so maybe they might not even feel that way. But I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I actually feel completely the opposite to this. Um, so I thought this might be a cool thing to include in the album. So I basically put together a piece of music um, for 
that soundbite and I got my friend Laura Lachlan to put together a uh, she actually did the voice, so she did a bit of an adaptation of it. So it's not the same thing. Um, it is it is different for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but I'm really happy with it. And again, it's going into the kind of exploring a totally different thing. You know, there's no verse, there's no chorus. Um, but I'm actually really proud of that song. And I got to collaborate with a friend of mine on it, which is, you know, who's a full-time artist from Limerick City which is phenomenal, like that, you know, anyone at all that can be, you know, making a living from art and being from Limerick. Is there anything better? I don't think there is. So I'll leave it at that for that song. Okay, let's uh, turn the record over and get into side two. So Hotel Don Pancho, you Pancho, you say that this is about the last truly carefree experience of my life. Tell me about the last truly carefree experience of your life. Uh, yeah, that was on that same holiday that that first clip came from. Uh, and actually that clip was in opening credits was uh, inside that hotel. Oh, okay. Uh, just a drab and dreary uh, hotel uh, in a, a package holiday uh, location. Um, and which, and you can only say so much about the actual party itself. You're not going to go too much into it. <laughs> no, really. Uh, to be honest, we're tame enough it's not really that rock and roll uh when you're you know um just in your first year in college to be honest um but it was like this sense of freedom like uh, it was this whole album was very difficult to write in terms of trying to walk a fine line of trying to capture an emotion from an experience in my formative years but not try my best to not be cliche because you know it's it's far more than a song about going on holidays like i don't think i can write a song about going on holidays um never mind about going on holidays in a you know packaged resort uh in portugal but it was about the experience that we had as friends and i can remember that first day getting like literally the moment we opened the hotel room and it was just like it's just us like my friends that I spent my entire life with it's just us and we can do whatever the hell we want and I don't mean that in a you know in any sort of debaucherous way I mean literally like if I want to go down to the beach I can do that if I want to sit here and watch the telly I can do that and that's such a simple thing but like everyone has their first experience of true freedom and that's what it felt like for me. But as soon as we got home, you know, I went back to working the full-time job that I was working while I was, you know, in secondary school and I was doing full-time college. And, you know, then I started doing music after that. And then other things started taking a hold. Um, and it was like that concept of not having any anything to worry about other than just an experience that you're having with these people in that moment. And, maybe that's actually a negative thing. Um, and it's something that I struggle with, especially with, because the band means so much to me and the music means so much. And I'm always thinking about the next step or what needs to be done or what hasn't been done. And I find it hard to even just enjoy the smaller things in life. And, you know, after the, the accident, it was really those things that I was thinking about. And in some ways, maybe it's a call to try and, go back to trying to view things that way because it is important or at least it's something that I need 
um and i need to do for myself but that was for me the the, the last kind of real carefree moment and i wanted to try and capture it in a audio form very good um badges for burglars is just you you your voice your guitar and a synth playing in the background like i asked you earlier did you think that this was a more honest record do you think that this is kind of showing off your confidence maybe in a way just like your songwriting or your singing confidence that you were able just to do like you know strip it back almost i think so yeah Cause leave them to walk along the prom in the distant in the past, even though especially in the early days of doing Anna's anchor, it was considered a, a solo project. Um, and most solo projects are a singer songwriter who is a sad person with an acoustic guitar who sings whimsically in the corner with a glass of whiskey or something i don't know but uh that was like the opposite to how i approach making music even as a solo act i was like i don't want this to sound like one person i want this to sound like it's a band it has a band name and you know it's not going to be marty ryan music.com it's going to be anna's anchor and even if it's just me on it i'm going to have guitar bass drums whatever the hell it's going to sound like a big band and people will be shocked then to find out that like all oh, right, this actually isn't a band at all. Um, for whatever reason, I, th- that that was something that seemed attractive to me at nine years ago. Um, <laughs> and maybe it was also me wanting to show that there was more to, uh, like I had more to offer than just a couple of acoustic chords and probably a badly sung vocal. Um, so just adding instrumentation was a way to do it. But when it came to this album, like again we've been doing it so long i really didn't care about anyone else's perception whatsoever and maybe in some ways maybe that does make it more honest at least from a musical sense and most of the second half of the album is actually pretty stripped back and it is probably the most stripped back thing we've done in album format maybe ever and that was purely because it was just how i felt the song would sound its best it wasn't that this needs to be big sounding. It needs to sound like the biggest band in the world. It was just like, I really like the way this guitar sounds. It's, you know, it's not in your face. The vocal is also not in your face. So we're just going to keep it at that and add in some little textures here and there. But other than that, just keep it that way. And I was actually a little bit concerned to like what, especially Brian, our drummer, who at this point you know he is one of the songwriters like he there's no way Anazank would still be gone without him um like he's such an important part of of making this music but part of me did think like what'll he think if only like he's only playing drums on like five songs on the entire album um but he was the first person to say like my favorite songs are like these three which are the ones that he didn't he didn't actually play drums on but he still had a part in writing it as well you know um even if it's just telling me like 
that does not sound shite. Like, that alone is a really important uh, input for me. Um, so I think that has come with a little bit more self-confidence, I think, yeah. You said earlier that it's not a religious record by any means, but the next track is called <laughs> Knock, and it's about, oh, I'm pretty sure, it's about visiting Knock and stuff. You know, you you uh, you focused it all on, on this track, so it sounds like you're getting some things off your chest on this track. <laughs> yeah, I tried to put all the, the sad negative things into one song. Who brought it But he doesn't fucking care A relic of old Slowly losing grip on its stranglehold He's said to be, said to be controlling miraculous help And uh, could be included for some other uh, natural expansion for his good But we can't control some intervals Natural way to be hard to do Yeah, and obviously this isn't a happy memory. Uh, well, it's it's not necessarily a negative memory either. Um, so right before I left Ireland, like the week before I moved abroad, um, which maybe that maybe that was my last carefree moment because I'd already left my job and I had a few days where I could just you know do whatever the hell I wanted, and I went and visited a friend in Donegal and spent a couple of days up with him. And, you know, at this point, especially the way I've used Anna's Anchor, like I've played in so many places that a band should not play in, or at least a band that sounds like us, like, you know, gone out to all these islands and played in a back arse nowhere to like old boys that, you know, a pub that doesn't normally have music. Like I, in hindsight, I don't even really know why I did that. Um, but the, the northwest of the country is actually one place that I haven't really explored as much as the rest of the country. So um, that's where I wanted to spend my last few days in Ireland. And on the way up, wasn't even planned. Um, you know, it's just like knocks in there. And, you know, I've obviously always heard about it, seen it on the news. Um, you know, my religious father would have told me about going to it. Um, and now I wasn't necessarily raised that religiously, but like my dad went and still goes to mass every Sunday and went to a school, a Salesian school that, you know, lots of the celebrations of the school would involve the church. And for me personally, and again, I'm, I, I, pref I seem like I'm prefacing everything I say, if someone gets something from religion and it doesn't hurt other people, I am delighted for them. I am really, really happy that that is the way that religion exists in their life. And I'm living in a part of America that is really, really religious. So I 100% get it. But at the same time, 
for me as someone who was told by teachers and priests growing up what's right and what's wrong and then for me to find out and the rest of the country to find out that they've done things 100 million times worse than anything else that they've ever portrayed as wrong is just sickening to me and i found it so hard to to kind of come to terms with it that it's this part that this thing that was part of your life growing up and now it's like it's actually not that way at all as it turns out for me and i've struggled with that and when i went to knock just being there i felt like it almost symbolized all these thoughts that i had like first of all there's like these gift shops where they're selling like holy water but by the gallon load and like plastic you know plastic crucifixes and all this stuff that seemed really gaudy and to me probably doesn't resemble again i don't want to offend anyone but i don't know if it has that much of an impact on on whether someone's a good or a bad person or how they live their life is like selling this stuff and then actually like walking around the place and you know the cathedral and stuff is beautiful but like there was no one there there was it was like a ghost town and it was you know there was a, a couple of old people walking around um and it just felt very strange that you know the the way the Catholic Church has existed in society in Ireland for the generations before you and I, you know, it's been such a fo- uh, you know focal point, and you know, Knock is basically the capital of of that. And I'm there, and there's like no one there, and I'm just left thinking, like, will will this even be around in thirty, forty years? And you know, the the only person that or the only people that truly have the answer to that question are the ones that, you know, are, are running the Catholic church basically. And it's not for me to answer and it's not for me to, to say how anyone should or shouldn't live their lives. But that song is about me trying to wrap my head around that whole experience and how religion has existed in my own life. Tough thing to talk about. It really is, but that's how I feel. You've got Hermitage Green's Dermachidi on Byron as well. Nice little uh, guesting there for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually really excited. And I did when I sent the when I sent the track on to Dermy. I was like, like I never spoke to Dermot about religion. I still don't know how he feels about religion. I was like, look, you may not even want to come within, uh, you know, a thousand miles of this song uh, to quote quote a different song, um, but. Um, Anyway, he was like, yeah, it's a, a really, you know, it's a, it's an interesting song. And I worked with Dermot in Music Generation and he's someone that before I met him, I wouldn't necessarily have had that much of an affinity to his band's music necessarily because it was doing a very different thing to, you know, and sounded very different to the music that I listened to. Um, but then getting to know him was like, wow like even though he's in one of the biggest bands in the country that plays you know very poppy music like he actually feels the same way about things as i do um musically speaking and that that was a bit of a revelation for me to be honest you know being in the whole diy punk thing for so long um you know it, it really kind of opened my mind and uh, just because the song was so acoustic driven and there is a 
you know, this kind of three, four outro part that almost, I won't say it sounds trad like, but you know, it's, it's got a, uh, a feel to it. And I was just like, I'll see what he comes up with because he also does very interesting things with the bower on, you know, like he's not playing it like my old lad, you know, or, you know, whatever anyone's uncle plays in the pub, you know, he's playing it very differently. Um, and I felt like he could send on something that we could make something interesting about. And I completely chopped it up and I, I pitched it down and pitched it up. And at times I felt like I was blowing the speakers off because uh, there was so much low end and it was very fun to explore that as well. So I'm really happy and I'm very excited for people to, you know, hear that collaboration. And from the opening credits to the closing credits, the last song of the nine on the album why only nine songs is it that you like keeping it to a tight 30 less than 35 minute album yeah pretty much <laughs> um it's one of those things it's yeah it's always hard to everyone has a different opinion on how long an album should or should not be you know and you have bands out there doing you know like a prog rock band that's doing this double LP that's gone on for an hour and a half and you have Mac DeMarco releasing this 500 song album or whatever it is. And all of that's great. That's excellent. But when I approach writing an album, I'm just like, at what point do I feel like I've said what I wanted to say? And by the time that there was nine fleshed out demos together that felt like they were good enough to be on an album, and that was basically it. Um, there, there isn't, you know, any real explanation to it other than that. Um, it is, you know, it is on the shorter side. But then again, I've like, a band that I love. It's probably the only punk band that I'm still really into is Joyce Manor, and like they'll have an album of like 16 songs, and the album's like 13 minutes long. Like each song is like one minute long. It's unbelievable but it's like incredible and you want every song to keep going on and the last thing i'd want is for someone to listen to our album an album of ours and at some point be like jeez i wish he'd blow it up there now you know <laughs> come on ref the match, the match is over like um so that's kind of and our last album was i think it was nine songs as well it was longer though um there were longer songs um but yeah, it's just like I've I felt like I've said what I've needed to say, and I I don't think there's any need to make it twelve songs because that's what the average length of every album has been since you know commercial albums were a thing. And you change it up as well because this features Claire O'Brien, I think, on on vocals on that. How come you you handed off the uh, vocals baton to her? I was delighted to. Uh, <laughs> I was sick of singing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was done with it.
Nirvana's sang harmonies um, on her last few albums, and she's also played keys in the live band over the last couple of years. And I've known Claire for a long time. The first tour I ever did as Anna Zanker was supporting a Limerick band called Randolph and the Croakers, and that was Claire's band. And uh, they're so good, like they're so underrated. And we like, we played loads together. We even did a tour one time where I was doing front of house sound for them as well as supporting. And it was just so much crack. They're uh, seven piece band at one stage where we play these tiny venues and. I just love their music and Claire, you know, sang harmonies on previous recordings. And as we started playing together as a five piece band and she started becoming more involved in, you know, just the whole band, you know, we grew closer and closer. And when it came to recording this album, because it was done remotely this time, she was sending me logic sessions over with her harmonies. And that was a new thing for her um, in terms of recording herself. And she did a phenomenal job on it. And closing credits, I had the chorus for it and I could not for the life of me come up with the verses. Actually, that was the first song that I wrote for the whole album, but could not write lyrics for the verse. And when she sent me on the harmonies for that song, it also had melodies in the verses. And then I messed her, I was like, oh, do you have ideas here? And she was like, yeah, I kind of do. Um, you know, we could, you know, I could send them on to you. And I was like, do you want to just completely take this song, you know, and handle the vocals yourself and write lyrics to it? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. I want to do it. And I was like, okay, this is great. And because, I mean, Claire and her husband, Keith, are two of the people that I've been that I almost keep the most contact with since moving abroad, um, that like they both know, they know exactly what's going on in my life. And, you know, they know exactly what the album is supposed to represent. So I never had any fear that Claire wouldn't put anything together that wouldn't be representative of how I felt. And if anything, maybe it, maybe it would be better to have someone who's one step removed acting as a ghostwriter almost, um, Although that, that, no, I'll, I'll retract that comment as, uh, you know, not giving her full credit because she wrote the song. Like, and it felt really great for me as this project that I've put myself at the center for so long to just completely, you know, leave the reins off. And, you know, Claire is someone that I felt very happy doing so. And on top of everything else, she has such an amazing voice. Like, it's incredible. It would be a sin not to you know use that fully when she's playing in the band and she'll be on tour with us as well when we go out um in a couple of weeks now and she's just a, a really important part of the band and it was just a really a really fun thing to do and i don't know what the future involves but i'd love to do more of that because it was fantastic great and one final sample to ask you about as well there's an old fella talking about giving a friend in rathkeel a plug in the limerick leader i have to ask you about uh about this sample what, what's this uh i'd say we'll leave that one up to the <laughs> listener to figure it out themselves yeah i don't i don't want to spoil absolutely everything but but yeah so you know a man getting a good belt from rathkeel <laughs> Uh, which is probably the best best way to to, to end the album. <laughs> okay, how how are you feeling about the album as a whole? Are you proud proud of it? It sounds like it was a big kind of achievement for you, especially like doing it while you're doing a PhD as well. That in itself <laughs> is pretty impressive. 
Ah, well, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad someone appreciates the torment I put myself through. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like now looking back and I'm like, Jesus, I don't know how we pulled that together because life is so busy right now and I really put everything into it. But when you enjoy something so much, it's also very easy to do that. And looking back, like I am really, really proud about it. If, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens from here as far as I'm concerned in terms of, you know, who who likes it or who doesn't like it or if it does this or if it does that or we get to do this thing or we don't get to do that thing. I really don't care because we made the album that I wanted to make. I think it shows a lot of progression. I got to try a lot of new things that I haven't tried before. I mixed this album myself as well with the help of Brian um, as well. And that was another important step and... Like the whole, the album as a whole is completely made by us. Like we recorded it ourselves. I mixed it myself. The album cover is a photo that I took, you know, and the music videos, I made the music videos myself. Um, and of course, I had lots of collaborators, like my friend Grace Cloakley did the layout. She's an amazing artist. Um, so I feel like all these fantastic skills and connections that we've made through being a band this long i feel like we got to put it all into this album and i'm so happy with it and yeah just i just hope we get to continue to make music that's the only thing that i really care about and yeah people do sometimes ask you know or what you know what's next or what does success mean to you and things like that and really that's just to make another album and i feel like this album has been a really positive step towards doing that in a in a sustainable way for us and you know i got to share it with some of my best friends and i just really hope that you know the people that are into our music that they they get something from it and that's that really yeah no listen it sounds great um congrats on it and just before you go uh Tell me about Limerick Hurling. Do you expect them to uh, win the All-Ireland again this year? Or have they? is it just like a step too far for them? Are injuries starting to take their toll? Are they just not the same team as they were last year? They just got past Cork there a couple of weeks ago. How much time do we have? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is off the ball coming on now? <laughs> you, can, you can give me like the shortest, the shortest uh, yes, prediction, sure. but I will hold it against you if you're wrong. Oof. Okay, well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, the tour begins the weekend after the All-Ireland semi-final. This tour that I booked a year ago. Now, it's no coincidence that our first day of that tour happens three days after the All-Ireland semi-final, and I get into Ireland two or three days before that semi-final. And there's also a very deliberate reason as to why there's a gap of about five days between the Irish tour and the UK tour. And the All-Ireland final happens right in the middle of that. And it's also no coincidence that I've already gotten on to the secretary of the Midwest GAA in uh, the USA that I'm looking for All-Ireland tickets already. So I'll tell you how I feel about it, uh, Owen. But uh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with the cocky answer, which made me seem like, you know, I finished the, the podcast looking like an arsehole. Um, yeah. So you're already looking past Galway. If it was a shorter answer, I would have said it's actually going to be a really tough game. And I think Galway have some phenomenal players. And the fact that Declan Hannon's going to be injured is this unbelievable unknown that we don't have. And that 
Kean Lynch might not be back. Gerard Hegarty has not been firing on all the cylinders whatsoever. And, you know, we're looking a bit vulnerable and, you know, it's it's their time. But um, regardless, even though I, I love Hurling so much, um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to seem like I'm going so over the top about being, you know, thankful for everything. But as someone who's gone, spent a lifetime, a childhood and a lifetime going to see the Hurlers and footballers get hammered all over the country for years on end, to have gotten the experiences that this group of hurlers has given us over the last four or five years is actually unbelievable. Like this is once in a lifetime. I'm under no illusion that this is going to continue forever. Someone's going to step up to the mantle. It could be this year. It could be in a few years, but honestly, I don't give a fuck because the experiences that we've had, like, <laughs> Like the, that final in 2018 was luckily I'm not married yet, so I don't have any kids. So I can say the best day of my life was the 2018 All-Ireland when we beat Galway and I was in tears. And it sounds so stupid, but there's people on that team that I went to school with. There's lots of people on that team that I played against. And I'm there in Crow Park watching, you know, people from my town achieve their lifelong dreams in front of 80,000 people. Like if you're not... <laughs> you know, getting shivers down your spine, listening to that. I don't know what <laughs> is. So, either way, can't wait for the future. Libnakabu. What? <laughs> on that note, on that note, thanks a lot for the chats, man. Thank you, Owen. I really appreciate it. The best that I ever could